All right, thank you, June. Um, how's everybody doing today? Come on, how are you doing? You got to be doing better than just good, right? Um, you got up this morning. You didn't have to go to work, right? Uh, anybody, anybody wish you were at work? Okay, there we go. I settled that one. So how are you doing? There you go. That's a little bit better. Okay, good. Um, it's... Um, Anybody been by the, the uh, dance center? Anybody see it's going up? Um, and, you know, we're, gonna, we're not having it all, but we're having, a, a good amount, we're having some good space in there, and it'll be nice to worship in our own spot, have lots of other different things. I'm excited about that. Anybody else excited about that? And, and, although, we, um, and although we recognize it's not where God is going to have us for eternity, we also know that's the first step in the, in the next, next phase of Haven's ministry. And it's exciting. Um, not many people... Many Christians have lived their whole entire lives and never had the opportunity to really start a church and focus on people. That's an awesome experience. And, um, and so uh, for some reason, God chose me to help lead in this, and I have no clue why, but um, it's all good. So, All right, so um, what we're going to do, we're going to do a series. Um, I'm going to start a new series today uh, called Red Letters. And no, it's not the scarlet letter. We're not going to talk about adultery. Um, But uh, if some of you were nervous or some of you didn't want me to talk about that, we are going to talk about red letters. Now, anybody have a Bible with you? If you open it up to the New Testament, if your Bible is somewhat like mine, if you go to the Gospels, you can see, like you'll turn on a page, and um, you guys are going to attack you, huh? What are you doing to that kid, Patty? But you'll have some, you'll have sections of your scripture that will be, most of them are in black and white, right? And then you'll have sections that are in red. What are the sections in red? That's what Jesus said. And so what we're going to do, this series is going to be based in the red letters of Jesus. Primarily, we're going to talk about um, some of the parables of Jesus. And um, one of the things I find out, if you're a parent, how many of you have ever been a parent in here? Okay, how many of you have ever been a child here? Okay, so you're used to the other side. But let's look at this. If you are a parent or in that realm, one of the things that you do is when you tell your children something, what do you say to them? When you want to tell them something that you really want to know, you want to say, look at me. Look at me. Like every once in a while, one of my kids, very, very infrequently because they're such angels like their father, but they'll, they'll walk along and they'll go, they'll say, they'll, they'll mumble something under their breath. And usually I believe that's not, oh, praise you for being a wonderful father. Um, I mean, if my dad had x-ray vision behind a door, man, I'd be, I, I wouldn't be here right now. You know what I mean? Um, but, and when they do that, I stop and I say, oh, no, 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 come here. Come here. If you, if you can say that to me when you're walking away, say it to my face. Right my, look into my eyes. Don't look away when I'm talking to you. Look into my eyes. No matter whether you're right or wrong, look into my eyes. That's important to me. Is that important to anybody else? I, I, I can't stand when people don't look at you when they're talking to you. Um, like sometimes I had one person who like always looked to the side and I'm like, you know, <laughs> ducking my head over to see if to who they're talking to. I'm here. Um, but, you know, that's one of the things. Or if you're an employer and you go ahead and you want to tell somebody that's important to them, you say, listen, I have something important to tell you. And here are the directions I want you to do. And here's what I want you to follow through with. Get this done. Am I right? Employer. So you have this kind of kind of deal. And much of what Jesus wanted to say and get across is done in parables. And a parable, here's your definition. Everybody know what a parable is? Okay, good. It is an earthly story 
with a heavenly meaning. That's what we can, that's a great little way to explain that. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus used basic stuff that goes on in the world that they would understand in order to share with them things about what was important to God. And so, um, one of the, probably the most pervasive story or parable that Jesus told that has just worked its way into our culture more than any has been Good Samaritan. The story of the Good Samaritan. Um, we have Good Samaritan Hospital. We have a motor group that is called, <clears throat> excuse me, Good Sam. Because they want to help people. It's just a theme that seems to fit. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you, um, June just read for us the Good Samaritan. How many of you have heard this Good Samaritan story before? Okay. How many of you kind of understand what it means anyway? You know, all of us understand. So, here you have this guy. It's interesting. If you look at the scripture, there is kind of like a, a teacher of the law. Now, he wouldn't be an attorney like today. He would be a, one who studied and understood the Jewish law. So he would know the Pentateuch, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Probably memorize them. And here he is. And he, he, he is coming up to Jesus. He has the right question but the wrong motive. He says, you know, you know, what must I do to enter heaven? And he's asking Jesus a good question, but it's got an ulterior motive to trip Jesus up. Now I want to ask you a question. <clears throat> In understanding the Good Samaritan, where Jesus tells a story about several people going by, a priest, a Levite, go by on the other side of the road. Then all of a sudden comes a Samaritan, and he helps the person. How many of you believe that you would have what it takes to be a Good Samaritan? Okay, I want to show you, one of my favorite shows on TV is What Would You Do? Anybody ever seen that? And I want to show you a clip they, that they did based off of a study that was done by Princeton Seminary students where they actually hired actors to be in need and wanted to see, shared in the class that day about the Good Samaritan. And then they released the class. And when they released the class, these are future pastors from Princeton initially, they sent them out and had actors who were in need. Ray Quinones from uh, ABC News went ahead and did the same thing in modern day. Let's see what, and I'm going to show you just a brief clip of that. Go ahead. Keep watching as hidden cameras catch our volunteers approaching actors pretending to be in distress. Even though the volunteers have just heard the parable of the Good Samaritan, we see one person after another stroll on by offering no help. However, <laughs> you're right there, boys. You're right. Need any help? Plenty of our volunteers are ready and willing to do something. You're right. Need some help? Yes. Possibly help. Need some help? Same Good Samaritan story. Same actors in distress, but different results. Why? Hey, Pat. I'm John Quinones. This is all part of an experiment. Okay. He's an actor. Daryl here is an actor. <laughs> And we Thank wanted to help. know, would people stop and help? And a lot of people didn't, and you did. Oh, okay. So tell us why. Why? Well, we just got done reading about it, number one. Yeah. You know, I'm, here I am, going to do something that, you know, to me looks like it sounds like it's going to be fun and a good time. And I see this poor guy. <laughs> looks like he needs the help. But there's more to it than that. Carrie Keating says our results mirror the famous 1970s Princeton study on seminary students that our experiment is based on. One thing predicted who stopped and who didn't stop. 
30 years ago in the original study. And in this study too? And in this study too. And it was time pressure. Time pressure? We have maps for you. Um, so we are right here. Yes, go back to the start when our producer Danielle tells our volunteers how to get to the studio for their supposed screen test. I'm so sorry that I'm rushing you out of here, but I just wanted... Just like the Princeton researchers, she tells half the volunteers they're running late. So good, go, you're in a rush, hurry, get up there. I'm going to call and tell them that you're on your way right now. Now they believe that in order to get their big break, a chance to be on ABC TV, they'll have to hurry and it makes a big difference. Most of them fly by the actors in distress. For those in a rush, only about 35% stop to help. For those not rushed, more than 80% do. Interesting, huh? Very interesting. Um, we live in a time where our time is our most valuable thing and even more valuable than somebody, um, somebody in that situation. As I looked at this, I thought it was really interesting we, you know, one of the things was, this week was one of those weeks where, even, even before Surfest and stuff, that God was just like hitting me with the Good Samaritan all week. I had lots of opportunities um, that occurred. I had times where somebody would say, hey, um, I need to talk to you. And I'd say, okay. And next thing I know, there's two hours that are, gone by and I'm, I'm talking with someone. And what was interesting, as I, I met with somebody, I was trying to figure out my schedule about when to go see my dad and um, when not to. And, and Jill had some health issues herself this week. Um, so, you know, here, I was trying to figure this out. I'm talking to dad on the phone. I'm meeting with people. I'm, and I figured, okay, well, if I have this amount, of, you ever do this, I have this amount of time to go ahead and do this, then I can get from point A to point B. And then what ends up happening is when I show up, it ends up taking like several hours longer than I had planned for. And you know what's interesting? While I'm sitting there talking to this one person, we were outside, it was a nice day, and all of a sudden, I'm sit, we decided to sit outside, I'm talking, and this one person comes up and goes, I hate to bother you, I know you guys are talking, do you have any any money I can use? I'm just somebody backpacking around, and I'm like, and so I immediately go, and if you know me, I never have money, so don't ask me for it, because I never have it, and, um, but you know, and, but immediately I'm like, uh, is there a, a Mac machine, is there something, you know, I still call it a Mac machine that tells you how old I am, um, so I, I go through this, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, and the person gave what, some of what they had, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like haunted at that moment, because I'm like, is this a missed opportunity? Is this a missed point to, to say something? So all of a sudden, I open my wallet. I remember Jack never has money, particularly in his wallet. That's like where I collect all like receipts and junk that doesn't need to be there. And all of a sudden, I open up, and there's money there. And I'm like, oh! And I run, and I go chase this man down. And I say, here you go. And he's like, oh, God bless you. I said, no, God bless you. And it was like that moment. I was like, okay, cool. And then... Um, I'm somewhere else, and I'm running from point A to point B, and some student says, hey, can I talk to you? And it had nothing to do with class, but more about life. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, uh, I'm going to be late, and I'm going to be running, and I've got to work out. You know, I've got to do that too. And I'm like, okay. Then I say, well, maybe I don't have to work out. You know, we do that thing. And so we're doing this whole kind of thing, and then, then it comes to Surfest Day, and I'm like, ah, I really got to get this stuff done because there's going to be people at church waiting to get their nice pretty bulletins and everything, and I got to get that done, and got to make sure and Wayne's not here, and Fred has got that taken care of, but still, you know, I'm doing this. But then it was important. I just felt like I wanted to be there and be part of that. So I was there. And then one night, I had just gotten off my shoes and put on my rest attire. You know what I mean? I'll leave that to your imagination. 
Some of you got a demented uh, imagination by the way you're looking, okay? Um, you're having a flashback to last year when I had the, uh, I forget, anyway. Um, so anyway, I'm sitting there and Melissa calls me. It's like 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. And all of a sudden she calls me and she says, hey, and it's just down the road. There's some young girls, there's a young girl who's got a flat tire. And, you know, let me ask you a question here. I'm going to be dad for a second, or a husband. How many of you know how to change a tire? Raise your hand. Who does not? Today, you go learn how to change a tire for your own safety and your own well-being, right? It's something you need to know. Anyway, so, huh? Okay, just call me. I don't care. Um, I'll, I'll come in my re- relaxing attire, okay? Um, so anyway, I'm sitting there. I'm chilling out. I'm getting ready to do some church work. You know, I'm going to sit down and got my mind straight. The kids are playing something and away from me. And I'm just kind of silent, just me and the dog hanging out. And I'm doing this. I get this call. I'm like, okay. So I go and I get there and I look and it was something with the sidewall, the tire. At first I thought it was slick because it was nice and easy, but it was all around the sidewalls. And I said, okay. And then this young girl, she didn't have a clue what was going on. She was just kind of like, huh. And then her friend's there. And I got to tell you, why didn't this happen to me when I was single? You know what I mean? I mean, two young blonde girls in Daisy Duke shorts. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was single, I would have been changing everybody's tire if they looked like that. And you could tell they were kind of like, yeah, you know, they were just like, oh, tires, oh, you know. I was like, oh, yeah, you know. And maybe that's why Melissa sat there with a van the whole time. I don't know. But anyway, so here I am. I'm going, I'm changing this tire, and they're like, ah. Yes, just focus on the tire, focus on the tire, focus on the tire. Um, so, you know, I'm, cha- I'm going ahead, and they didn't have a jack, so I had to go, and I said, well, my name's Jack. You know, it would have been good. It would have been, been a great pickup line years ago, I tell you. Um, so anyway, I'm going, it's either, it's either the beginning of, like, this cr- crazy college experience, or it's a horror movie, you know what I mean? Like, somebody comes out, Jason hits me in the back of the head, and I'm dead, changing the tire. Who knows? But anyway, so I'm changing it. I finally get a jack out of Melissa's van. I'm changing the tire. I get all in there, and the wheel stuck. You know what I mean? Anybody have that? It's like, I think somebody welded it on there. And then in the process of this, she says, oh, my dad's a mechanic, but he's mad at me for taking the car. I'm like, well, where the heck's he? You know? I mean, you know... But I don't want to call him because I don't want him to get a yell at me. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's great. So, so I'm like, eh. And I had on slip-on shoes because I figured changing the tire would be easy. Fortunately, I had some workout tennis shoes on because I'm thinking I got a really bracing yank, you know. So uh, here I am. But in the process of them changing the tire, they said, but my dad, he's much older than you. you. You probably don't know him. I said, oh, how old do you think I am? They said, 30. I was like, oh, I love you guys. Um, I said, as you can see from my wife, I like older women. And so, you know, um, <laughs> so she, and she's laughing at me. And she said, they said I look 25. Shut up. You know, so, we're, so meanwhile, the kids are jumping around the van. And so I go ahead and I, I finally grab hold and I go, ah, and I pull off this tire and then I put on a donut. And um, they're like, is that okay? I got another one. I said, no, this is fine. You know, now at this point, I'm like, okay. Yeah, they're irritating now. Okay, so now you put this on. And I go through this and they were so thrilled. Yay, wonderful. I said, go on. They just took off. And I was like, bye. You know, okay, see so, ya. Yeah. Um, and, and then I look and, and see this right here? I noticed my hand was stinging. I slipped my hand across my, the palm of my hand. I'm like, darn it. Not 20 years, 30 years ago, not split hand. You know, I'm going, I, was, ah. I go home. And you know how I found out I slipped my hand? I had that, like, uh, what is it, soap that has alcohol in it. 
I was like, ah, thank you, Jesus, is what I said. Um, and so I'm like, really? And I go home, and now I don't, now I don't have time to do what I want to do. I don't have time to sit down. I don't have to do this. And I'm like, ah. And then it was just like, it's like vision came to me, and I was like, you know, and God was just saying, Jack, because at this point, I, I still had, I was struggling with what to preach about this week. And Jack was like, God, this is what it's about. You know, what if that was your daughters out there? I said, Lord, number one, they wouldn't be wearing Daisy Dukes. And, um, you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, I went, I went through this whole process. But, like, what if it's your daughters? And I told them, I said, you guys need to learn how to change your I'm thrilled to do it, but I want to make sure you know this. Because who knows? And I just started thinking. I could have easily said, somebody's going to come by the road. I could have picked up the phone and said, don't, Nathan, go down. It's by your lane. You know what I mean? Um, it was down at the end of your lane down there. So, um, but, you know, and, but it was just like something God just placed on my heart at that moment. There was other moments like that all week. And, and part of it, and there was even more when I started being more attentive to what was going on. And, you know, so long the, the Good Samaritan has been this focus of someone goes out of the way to help others. But the parable deals a lot more with other things. It deals with selfishness, it deals with self-focus, and it deals with self-centeredness. As we look at this verse of Scripture, and if you have it out, like I said, the, the man, the teacher of the law, asked a really good question, but with the wrong motive. He wanted to trip Jesus up. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus switches that around and says, what does the law say? And he quotes from Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly, and do this and you will live. And he said, but let me tell you a story. And he starts off, he says, a man is going to Jerusalem. And this is in your, um, your bulletin. When he's attacked by ra- robbers, they strip him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Let's look at that first section of Scripture uh, of the Good Samaritan. The first thing that we need to do to make it a beautiful day in the neighborhood, I had to go to Mr. Rogers, I'm sorry, um, is to identify the crisis. Identify the crisis. Uh, what do we find out about identifying the crisis here? Crisis is a combination of two Chinese words, which means dangerous opportunity. Did you know that? It's a combination of two Chinese words, dangerous opportunity. And um, what is that dangerous opportunity that we may have in our, in our life? You see, from Jerusalem to Jericho, it is 17 miles. There's an elevation drop of 3,000 feet on treacherous road, and it was filled with robbers. Now, I think these are the most weird robbers I've ever met in my life. They beat him up for his clothes. Did you realize that? They leave him half dead for his clothes. But that's not much different now. There's been people who've been shot and killed for their shoes in this world today. So we aren't much different than them right now. But I just thought, why didn't they just totally kill him? Well, it says that he was half dead. Maybe they thought he was dead. Maybe they were hoping he'd come back another time and they'd beat him up and take his sandals to go, to go with the rest of the clothes they took. I don't know. But what we find out here, and I think it's extremely important to find out that in the crisis, every day if we are available, we run across people who are half dead. Whether or not physically, half dead spiritually, and that means they're half alive too. And at this point I go back to The Princess Bride, one of my favorite movies, where Billy Crystal says, he's only mostly dead, right? Um, One of my favorite movies of all times. If you have never seen it, you will laugh, it's hilarious, okay? Okay. 
And if not, I don't, you have no sense of humor. But I, as soon as I saw half dead, I said, oh, he's only mostly dead. Okay. Um, but there are people who are in crisis every day of life. They're sitting next to us at the table. They sit next to us in a restaurant. They're in our cars. They're in our families. They're in our houses. They're in our places of work. We go by them from point A to point B, and we don't pay any attention to these people who are half dead. How many times, I started thinking, how many times have I seen someone broken down on the road and just kept on going? And that means. There are people who are in financial crisis. People who are in relationship crisis. People who are in emotional crisis. People who um, need us to just listen, love, and help. They're, They're basically headed towards spiritual complete death and bankruptcy. There is always an avenue to pray. This is the national week or day of prayer. On Thursday. And it, oh, we can always pray. And we can always give an opportunity to help. There's an interesting story about a man named George Phillips. From Meridian, Mississippi. He was going to bed one night. And his wife said. George, you left the, the light on in the shed. And he said, oh, I thought I turned that off. So he began to walk out the door. And he looked out the window. And he saw some people in his shed. Stealing stuff out of the shed. So he went and he picked up the phone. He dialed 911. And he said, um... I, gotta, I, I need to call you. I need the police right away um, to explain the story. Went and looked in his sh- and said, they're, they're stealing things out of my shed. I need the police to come. Well, the dispatcher said, well, I'm sorry. Um, are they in your house? He said, no, they're in my shed. She said, lock the doors. We'll send a patrol car as soon as we can. They're all busy now and can't come. So he said, okay, and he hung up the phone. He counted 30 seconds, and he called back, and he said, Hi, I just called 30 seconds ago. My name is George Phillips. Those uh, people who were in my shed, I shot and killed them, and now the dogs are eating them. Goodbye. And hung up the phone. <laughs> After he did that, within 30 seconds, within uh, three to five minutes, three police cars, an armed rescue response SWAT unit, and an ambulance showed up at the house and caught the burglars red-handed. They went over to Mr. Phillips and said, I thought you said you shot them. He said, I thought you said you were busy. (laughs) Several times in life, we end up in that. We see people in crisis, and it may not be a crisis for us, because we have to get moving, don't we? But the crisis for us uh, may not be a crisis for somebody else, but that may be where they are, and and it's going to be the last thing to to have them fall apart. You know how many people I've talked to over the years, where I've heard people say to me that they say, you know, I've heard people say, say to others and say that they have been, wa- and to, also to me, that they were going home one time to kill themselves and somebody smiled at them and said, have a great day. The Lord loves you. And that changed their whole entire perspective today. We don't know what each other's dealing with, what crisis we're in, but we're not called to, to figure out the crisis. We're just called to identify that there is one and to love people through that. I think the moral of that story with George is don't mess with old people um, or learn a lot from them either way. All right, next thing we need to do is to show concern. Show concern. So our first thing is identify crisis. Next thing we want to do is show concern. Look at this verse. A priest happened to be on the same road, and um, when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But the Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. We need to move to a point where we show concern. The priest goes to the absolutely opposite side. Isn't that a great picture? 
The priest sees them over here and walks all the way over here. Now, I know, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you have known and seen somebody in a store that you know? That you know. If you are in the aisle, you play hide and seek in the aisles. That was last week's sermon. You see them and you go, and you even squat down, don't you? You like expect like Mission Impossible, dump, 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 dump. You know, you're jumping around. And because you know, if I get there, I'm going to be there the rest of the day. And the, the, I wonder why the priest did this. Maybe he was in a hurry. You know, because maybe he was, a, he was a priest coming from Jerusalem to Jericho. Maybe he had served at the temple, had worked there all week and was tired and wanted to get home. It was the weekend. And he was listening to Loverboy on his iPod. Everybody's working for the weekend. Okay? And he's head, heading back. Or maybe, just maybe, he thought he, somebody else would do it. Or maybe he thought he was dead and by being a priest he couldn't touch a dead person. So he assumed. We're not sure. Maybe he was unconscious. If he was dead, he would have been unclean and they couldn't have touched him. Or what about the Levite? The Levites were the worship leaders. They were the guys up here. They helped make sure everything was done in worship and went uh, smoothly. And they had to do the same thing. If they were dead, they couldn't lead worship, so they had to stay away from them. So he passed by to get as far away as possible. And if we aren't careful in our lives, we do the same things to others. We pass all the way to the other side to get away from them. Because we feel that the less we know about the crisis, the less guilty we feel. For instance, there have been times in my life where I have seen someone with a flat tire, and I keep on going. And you know, when I first pass, I go, "Uh, I hope somebody goes. And you know, as the miles and the distance gets a little bit further, it allows my guilt of not stopping or helping to go further by the wayside. Now hear me, I recognize in these days you have to be careful. I realize particularly for females alone, you do not want to be stopping in, in certain situations. I'm not doing, staying away with that. I'm just saying that I think if we're all honest, there are situations where we pass by and we know we could help. Um, and there might be a full car full. Um, so, so many times we do that. We can help. And what happens, the further I drive, the more I begin to block it out. And if we don't block it out, we just have to help. There's something in me. That I recognize. I want you to turn with your Bible to me if you have First John, not the Gospel of John, but First John. Um, if I can find it myself, First John. It's toward the back of the Bible, chapter three, and for verses seventeen and eighteen, and verses uh, seventeen. Uh, Well, let me start with verse 16. It says, This is how we know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. 17 says, If anyone has material possessions and see his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Verse 18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. Wow. Isn't that a weighty verse? Isn't that a weighty verse for us? Not to, it is easy to love in action. You know, I, I tell my wife, I love you. I tell my kids, I love you. But it is much, much harder to go ahead and show that day in and day out. Am I right? I remember one time I was talking. Some of you say I love you on the phone so much that you don't know who you say it to. One time I was saying, I lo- uh, you know, I said to my wife, I love you. And I was talking to one of my best friends. And I was getting on the phone. I said, I love you. He said, huh? 
I said, man, <laughs> right? You know, um, we just flip it off that quick because it's become easy with words. But to show love takes a lot of commitment and action and devotion to others. Um, so the Samaritan, he's the third guy. Now, the Samaritan is the hero here. It would be like Jesus telling us, hey, a bunch of Christians, let's say Jack passed along the road and Jesus saw somebody and went the other side. Let's say Fred or Wayne or Jill or Nicole or Tom or Thomas um, were, were rolling down the, walking down the way and they went ahead and they saw somebody and they went the other way. They were the Levites. And then all of a sudden, this drug-dealing-filled, crack-smoking guy who had nothing going for him in his life who hadn't had a job in 45 years and just as a dreg of society came over and ministered to that person, brought healing to them, got them up, got them to a hotel, took whatever money he had, put it down and said, take care of him. That's what it would be like saying to them. Because they hated the Samaritans. Called them dogs. Not nice, cute dogs. Remember the dogs I talked about last week? That's the dogs they were talking about. The ones that were wild and scrounged around. You see, the Samaritan knew what it was like to be an outcast in his life. And one of the things that, if we aren't careful, one of the things that happens is religion at times, if we are religious, that we, it, will, it will give us answers without action. That's the blank on there. Religion, will, if we aren't careful, will give answers without action. But Christianity gives action without acknowledgement. In other words, I don't need it. I'm doing for him, not for them. The reason why I'm helping and serving and loving is for him. It was awesome just today that in the announcements, we hear about four or five different things that people are doing, not out of love for self and look at me, but out of love for him. That one of the most amazing things I love about this church is not just that lights are changed, that people are connected to Christ, that we, we're going to have a new facility that's going to be hopefully a community center for people in the community. But to me, it's that we are reach, not staying inward focused, but we're reaching outward focused and we're changing lives. That when you're taking part of your time to go serve with the Paris Foundation or with the lunch or with Clairvaux Farms or with Surfest, that you're taking your time for Him. Not for ourselves. That's sacrifice. And that's the love of what Christ says. In action. Not just in thought and word. That's exciting to me. Because lives are being changed. Christianity gives action without acknowledgement. You know, we live in a time where it's very difficult for us to have this kind of Christianity that Jesus spoke about. It's easier to debate and discuss being a Christian or what is Christian and what is uh, theoretical rather than to actually love and be. Now that has its place too. Matter of fact, the disciple the other night, we were talking about major theological issues as part of reading Romans. But you know, we can talk, if you want, we spend time talking about giving, whether um, tithe, do we tithe off of gross or whatever the other part is, right? Net. We split hairs in every different way rather than just reading the scripture where it says the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Now, I personally believe that 
The tithe is what God wants us to do. And I also realize people aren't there, and I'm not going to beat you over the head with it. God wants you to be cheerful and to learn about that. That's why Debbie's doing a stewardship thing. Not to say you have to do this, because every time we talk about money, everybody gets real nervous. But rather than focusing about the whole thing, that, that this is a, a way we can love God back in service to the community as we did yesterday, many of us. In service to others as we serve them and make, take our own time and make food and serve them in that way. And all kinds of other different ways. Or maybe just stopping as we're walking down the aisle of the grocery store and recognizing there's somebody there in this situation much like they were up here today. The last thing that we need to talk about, well, one of the last things is we've got we to count the cost. It's interesting that when we look at this, when we count the cost, and if you look at this scripture, I, I, can't, tell you if, I can't tell you the uh, Samaritan added everything up, but what I do know is that he gave him a lot of stuff. He put his own money down, he cleaned him up, pouring in his own oil and wine, and he didn't just go to Walmart or Martin's and pick that up, or Food Lion. He, he went and it was his and it was precious to him, and he gave it. And so he had to go ahead and count the cost to him. But to him, the cost of this Jewish man who he should have hated was more than what his possessions were. I love this difficult teaching from Luke chapter 14. If you can look there with me, it's printed in your bulletin. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And you know what's really interesting? When Jesus was walking, when the crowds got really large, he gave them a difficult teaching. And it tended to sort out people who were really committed. And it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. He said, if anybody wants to come after me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoa! And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That's heavy stuff. We see cross as a nice little piece of jewelry. It was a, that would be like saying, if you want to follow me and be a member of Haven Church and serve God, carry an electric chair around with you everywhere you go. And you're eventually going to have to die that way. Does that seem pleasurable to you? And then he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. Saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will you not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and he will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus simply was asking us this question that I have here. It's it's a statement. Either Jesus is Lord of all or he isn't Lord at all. What in my life do I have that I would hold back from Christ? Wow. I, I was asking myself this question. If I saw somebody on the side of the road that needed something, what is it that Jack has? And there are some things. There are some things. I'm in the same boat with you. That I would hold back and not give. Now I'm a lot better than I used to be, but I've certainly not arrived where Christ needs me to be. You with me? Gary's not here, so you've got to give me an amen. All right? And, we, and so 
one of the things I realized in this story is that there's areas in my life that Jesus is not Lord. He's my Savior, but he's not my Lord. And I need him to be the Lord of my life in there. There are people I worry about and pray for, and I keep bringing them back. I'm trying to get them fixed and healed rather than committing them to Christ and recognize he's Lord. So in this, what's required of us? Number one, I believe we need, and it's actually number four, we need to accept and receive radical generosity and sacrificial love. Some of us are, are struggling and in crisis, and we don't want to accept the sacrificial love and generosity. You know those people where you know their lives are falling apart and oh, everything's fine, and they won't accept it, and meanwhile they're half dead, mostly dead, and they're getting mostly more dead? You've got, you got to be ready to receive those kind of things. What does God require of us? Here you go. Does God require of us to, to do a safe, uh, you know, the Lord's Prayer by memory and the 23rd Psalm and all that stuff? That's good stuff. But here's what God requires of you. Micah 6, 8. It's printed in your bulletin. This, here he goes. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? I want to know that. Anybody else want to know that? To act justly or to seek justice. To love kindness or mercy, mercy, undeserved favor, and to walk humbly with your God. Humility, mercy, and justice. And when we walk by the people in crisis in life, we're not only not being a good Samaritan, we're not being a good Christian and a representative for Christ. So, I want to ask you, won't you be a neighbor? Hi, neighbor. You know, I thought about trying to get a sweater and throw it, toss in my shoes at this point, but I didn't, okay? Um, Fred Rogers. I found this statement yesterday. I saw it three times. God is really hammering us home to me. So if it means nothing to you today, no problem. But I got to tell you, I also was the recipient this week of being a neighbor. Look at what Mr. Rogers says up here. When I was a young boy, I would see scary things in the news. My mother would say to me, look for the who? Helpers. You will always find people who are helping. To this day, especially in times of disaster, I remember my mother's words, and I am always comforted by the realizing that there are still many helpers, so many caring people in the world. I was the recipient this week of a good Samaritan. Right before I was getting ready to go see my father, I pulled into Rita's in Elkton, and I saw two beautiful ladies right there. And I was getting ready, you know me, I never have money, so I'm reaching in, I'm getting ready to scrounge money out of my chain stuff, and I go up there, and she's in line, Patty's there, going ahead and getting uh, Rita's, and I was getting the sugar-free, because I can have that, and then all of a sudden she said, what do you want? I said, sugar-free, uh, whatever, and it was grapefruit, and I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big grapefruit fan, but it was good, because it gives you a sample, and she's like, and then, she, then she became Satan for a bit and said, just eat the sugar, you're good. Um, so, but then Patty paid for me. I said, I got money. I scrounged for an hour in the car. I got it, you know. And she said, no, no, no. You always, she said to me, she said, you always tell us to be kind to others. I'm going to do it to you. Isn't that cool? I thought she should be recognized today, you know. Because it was good. And after she paid, I said, you have the big gallon side? No, um, I, I, got, <laughs> I got the little kid's size, and it was good. It was delicious. That's all I needed. But, you know, there are people who are helping. So I want to show you one other clip before we just zip through the last part. I'll show you this one little clip. She's so moved, she runs back and forth to help. I don't live around here, but I could drive you. Thank you. you need to go somewhere. Thank you. Clearly, she's more worried about this stranger's well-being than her own. 
even though she herself suffers from asthma. Kelly, hi, I'm John Quinones. Hi, I recognize you. Oh this my has God. been all part of our experiment on what it takes to be a good Samaritan, and you were amazing. What an example. Yeah, really, thank you. It's a, he's an actor. This is Emmanuel. I feel bad because we put you out and you have asthma. That's okay. When you approached, you had your hand to your chest. What did that mean? I was worried and my heart was pounding because I don't want to see anybody in a sad situation. Did you stop because you had just heard about the parable of the Good Samaritan? Uh, possibly. I don't, I wasn't thinking of myself. I just saw another human being in need and I don't think there's enough people who care in this world anymore. Emmanuel, had you been really in trouble, what did this tell you? That, like she said, there really are good people out there. You guys are a mess, and you're an actor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, this wasn't but real. That's... Gosh, it was to me. You're a real hero. You are a good Samaritan. And yeah. to those who say it's heroic, what would you say? It's our duty. We're all brothers and sisters, and we're all children of God. I don't know definitely, but I would guarantee you she's a Christian. I'll guarantee you. You, you didn't see because I didn't want to show the whole thing. You can search for it. You can find it all. She came there, saw him. It stopped, was almost in tears with him. Said, I will take you somewhere. Do you need a, you need a phone? She left her phone back in the car. She's walking with him. Said, stay here. I'll run right back. She ran, got her phone, came back. And she was supposed to be over at this casting call. You see, what did she say? She said, because we're all brothers and sisters. We're all children of God. She put love in action. Love in action. Because, you know, when it comes down to it, to be a neighbor, life is about relationships. Whether we like it or not. From the beginning, God said it wasn't good for us to be alone. And he created a helper for us. From the time where he sent out his disciples, he sent them out two by, two, together so they wouldn't be alone. He sent the Holy Spirit so that we would not be alone. And guess what? Guess what I found about every relationship? Every relationship has some conflicts and are based on trust. And James tells us in James chapter 4 verse 1, Do you know where your fights and arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that make war inside you. Anybody had an argument lately? That it's somebody else? Part of that argument came from the desire that's inside of you. And lasting partnerships and lasting relationships are built in trust. Wolf uh, Ranke from Winning Management says, if you mistrust your employees, you'll be right 3% of the time. If you trust until you, they give you a reason not to, you'll be, um, you'll be right 97% of the time. Um, Henry Simpson, former U.S. Secretary of State, said, the chief lesson I've learned in a long life is the only way... Um, you can make a man trustworthy is by trusting him. And the surest way of, of making him untrustworthy is to distrust him and show him you distrust him. So there are different ways how we can go through this. Every relationship needs restoration. All people, whether we know them for years or not, there needs to be some restoration. They were going across Jewish and Samaritan borders, a relationship that had been severed for years. One of the other things they found out in that video is that race played into it as well. What we need to recognize is that in order to 
we need restoration and we need sincere motives of restoration. How do we restore with our neighbor or in relationship? Be the believer. If there's somebody else who's sinned against us, go to them in love. And share. And if we have somebody who's wrong and, and we're furious, take a cool off time, but then go to them in love and recognize that lo- the love of Christ, that Christ should be angry at every single one of us. Make an approach or a confrontation. I don't like the term confrontation because we always think of fighting. But go to that person. Share with them. If that doesn't settle, make, make a case with others. And then make an appeal to authority. Sometimes that may be, you know, often what we do is we make our case with others before we go to the people. We go and gather our forces around us so we can go ahead and fight the Jews and Samaritans forever. And justify, I don't have to go there because he's mostly dead. I don't have to go there because he's a Samaritan and I'm a Jew. I don't have to go there because i got to get home. I don't have to do this. We, we get our groups together to justify. And sadly, there are those points in life where relationships are so broken that you need to have a separation, even if it's just for a time. That you need to go ahead and allow people to go ahead and just take a break in order to go ahead and find out what's really going on in life so that they can hear the advice of others. There are several ways, and I could do a whole other sermon on that. But the bottom line is, I just think, I want to ask you this question. Do you have what it means to be a neighbor? Do you have what it means to see the people day in and day out who are hurting and who are struggling and who are dying half dead, mostly dead on the road? Do we pass by them day in and day out when all they may need is just to know, hey, I'm praying for you today. You could save somebody's life, but maybe even their spiritual life. Amen? All right. I'm going to ask you to stand. Today I'm going to ask Stephen and Bobby if you would go ahead and pray with people um, as I'm going to be needed to help play with the praise team. And we're going to do a song. We were going to do another song um, today, but I've been singing this song for a lot. It's an old hymn, and it's one that has a little bit different. It's called Take My Life, and I want that to just be your prayer. And, you know, I realize I'm always available to pray with you, but... uh, I do know that Bobby and Steve are prayer warriors, and they would be glad to pray with you. And if anybody else feels led to pray with somebody, and um, this song is Take My Life, and it's um, changed by Chris Tom- uh, it's added some other things by Chris Tomlin and Louis Giglio.